This week on the Myths and Legends podcast, it's a story of the much-requested Scottish water horse, the Kelpie. You'll see how you can save an entire kingdom and get all the credit for it without really doing anything, and that if someone responds to your marriage proposal by laughing in your face, it's probably not going to work out. The creature this week is a drunk orangutan on the beach. Who just wants to remain a drunk orangutan on the beach? This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 72, Party Horse. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week's episode is brought to you by Carvana. Do you dread spending your Saturday haggling with a salesperson? I know I do. With Carvana, you can skip the dealership and buy your next car online. Choose as soon as next day delivery or pick up from the world's first coin-operated car vending machine and enjoy the peace of mind of a seven-day return policy. Plus, save some serious money compared to dealerships. Carvana is the new way to buy a car. Check out carvana.com slash legends, L-E-G-E-N-D-S, to learn more. So there are a lot of creatures that are similar to the Kelpie, a shape-shifting monster that drags people into the water. We've talked about a lot of them on the Creature of the Week, but there's only one Kelpie. I'll get to a lot of the different things about it, like the various stories and the meaning of the name and all that, after the main story today. I don't want to give too much away. It wasn't every day you found the horse equivalent of a stretch limo, but somehow, the sons of the chieftains had found a horse equivalent of a stretch limo. It was already a fun day. All the sons of the chieftains throughout Scotland were out on a party boat, as sons of chieftains are wont to do, when they spotted a beautiful horse dancing on the beach of the Isle of Pigs. Guys, guys, Ian, one of the chieftain's sons said, guys, pull over, I have to pet this horse. A party boat being, by definition, pretty laid back, none of the other chieftain's sons had any issue with dropping anchor. Besides, it was so classic Ian. That guy was a huge horse buff. Sure, they could pull over. Oh my gosh, guys, Ian said. You have to pet this thing. Its coat is like butter, if butter was a really smooth horse coat. Then Ian paused. He, he was going to do it. As if it could read his thoughts, the horse actually bowed down for him as he leapt on its back to ride. As he trotted around, the others looked on him with awe. He looked like a king. The others poured off the party boat, all wanting a ride, and one clambered up behind Ian. That's when something awesome happened. When the son of a chieftain climbed up behind Ian, the horse grew, and another spot opened up behind the second rider. The sons were all amazed, and one particularly brave man climbed atop the obviously magic horse, and the horse grew another spot. The sons looked at each other and knew what they had to do. And they all ran to it and took a seat on the back of this amazing horse limo. This was definitely going to go down as their best annual Chieftain Sons party boat trip yet. Oh, come on, Donal, the king's son said, urging his shield bearer to get on the horse. Donal was not one of the Chieftain Sons, but more of a plus one on the party boat trip. 
the king's son, the king being above all the chieftains, wanted his shield bearer there, so the others begrudgingly accepted that Donald was coming, but he was not going to get one of the annual t-shirts. Donald had a very different life than the man that he served, one where he not only knew the stories of the magical things of the world, but believed them. He thought better of instantly trusting a magical growing horse that just wanted to give you and all your friends a ride. But he apparently was in the minority in the group. Oh my gosh, Donald, just climb up. Don't ruin this for us. Another chieftain's son yelled back at the wavering shield bearer. Donald thought a moment, and regardless of his personal feelings, an order was an order. He leapt atop what was now the horse equivalent of a dachshund, and the horse took off. Surprised by the jolt, Donald reached to steady his master with one hand, bracing his left hand on the horse's back. That's when he heard the confusion from all the sons of the chieftains. Their hands were stuck. Donald looked down and tried to pull his own hand free, but found that it, too, was now stuck fast to the horse. Some of the sons were panicking, while others were more forgiving at the situation. Donald heard some up ahead saying, you know, maybe the horse just really cared about safety. Let's not judge. Guys, I, I don't think this horse cares about our safety, Donald's master, the prince, said. Look where we're going. Donald looked up and saw that the horse was headed straight for the water, with all the chieftain's sons stuck to its back. Donald heard the sons yelling in front of him, then screaming for the horse to turn around. But the creature was getting closer and closer to the water. It wasn't until Ian, at the front of the horse, went under, that they realized how dire their situation was. Donald saw the front of the horse dive, and he heard the screams of the sons turn to gurgles. Donald pulled at his own fingers, but they were stuck. By magic, which is the worst kind of stuck. He was as doomed as the others. But then he had an idea. His fingers were stuck, but his hand wasn't. There wasn't any time to hesitate, so Donald didn't. As he went under the water, his hand went to the knife on his right side. He drew the blade and began hacking at the knuckles on his right hand. His screams matched the others, as the salt water filled his wounds until, finally, he was free. Blood streamed from his stumps in the darkness of the depths. He allowed himself one last look at the white horse, speeding down into the murky black of the sea, the sons of the chieftains pulling away in vain as they slowly drowned. Donald made it to the surface before passing out from lack of oxygen and looking at the empty former party boat and gripping his bloody hand, screamed. A few days prior, Dianim, daughter of the king whose son was just drowned in the last scene, was singing a sad song. There's no way I'm getting that name right, so I'm just going to call her D from now on. Her songs were about to get a lot sadder, because in a week or two, her brother would be one of the sons drowned by the magical horse. But for now, her songs were just about lost love and longing. It wasn't something D had any experience with. The song was a glimpse of a world she didn't quite understand. That was a sad song, the young man said when Dee finished. She gasped. She didn't know she had an audience. Especially an objectively beautiful young man. She sat in awe of him, but then became saddened. The young man was crying. Dee felt so bad for him and told him as much. 
He smiled a melancholic smile and looked down at her. He said that she could help him. Wipe the tear from my eye, he said, less as a request and more of a command. Dee was surprised to find her hand rise up, without her telling it to. Even though anyone giving her such a command would get a slap to the face, she wanted to wipe the tears from his eyes, so she forgave him. As soon as she touched the tear, she was his. The tear soaked into her hand, and she saw him in a new light. She would love him forever. She would do anything for him. Dee had to be with him. She asked his name. He said he was called the Kelpie, the Lord of the Deep. Anyone who touched the Kelpie's tear became his slave and lover. Though Dee didn't need to be told that, she felt it. She knew the proverbial cage was there, but she didn't care. She didn't want to leave. She wanted to spend her entire life by his side. He said they wouldn't be able to spend all their time together, seemingly reading her thoughts. He had done this enough times to guess what his thralls were going through. No, during the day they would find a quiet, private spot to be together. But at nightfall, he must go. The pair went to find a private place to get to know each other a little bit better. Days later, Dee was lying on the beach, just waking to find her arm around that beautiful young man. She smiled. He was still sleeping. She watched him sleep for a bit, and then she felt a chill. She looked up. Oh, the sun was setting. She should wake him. She looked back at his beautiful sleeping face. What could be the harm in doing the exact opposite of what he asked? In moments, she saw the harm. The sun dipped below the horizon, and her hand was no longer stroking the face of a beautiful young man, but of something slimy and sticky. His hands were heavy and, well, not actually hands at all anymore. They were hooves. She was disgusted by all the slime, and then she looked back at his face and had to stifle a scream. She was staring into the face of a white horse. She recoiled, but her hair was trapped in that slimy nightmare. She tried to quietly untangle it, but it was wrapped around the thing's hooves. She resorted to tearing her hair out to get free before running off back toward her city in the darkening twilight. Two days later, all the chieftain's sons went for that fateful party horse ride. The chieftains gathered. Something had gone terribly wrong, though none knew exactly what. The sons had all left on their annual party boat slash work retreat they should have been back a week ago. Seeing as it was medieval Britain and literally anything could happen, the chieftains feared the worst. It was confirmed when, bloody and ragged and starving, Donald staggered into the meeting. They were dead. They were all dead. He told the whole story. From the party boat, to Ian petting the thing, to the horse limo ride, to the drowning. The chieftains, in stunned silence, agreed on two things. One, that was classic Ian, that guy loved horses. And two, this was terrible. Not only was it an immeasurable personal loss, but the realm would never recover. All their heirs were dead, and their relations with the English were only getting worse. War would be here soon, and the next generation had been wiped out on a simple boat cruise. They would have to find another way for their kingdom to continue. You can't possibly be saying that that's the end of it, 
a booming voice next to the king bellowed. It was Lomar, the king's druid. The chieftains and Donal looked around. Uh, yes. Yes, that's exactly what they were saying. All the kids are dead by a sticky magical horse. There's no way to out-magic his magic, so here we are. What if I told you there was a way to out-magic his magic, the druid said. What then? That sounds like a needlessly complicated way of saying beat him and get our kids back, but yeah, sure, what's the plan? The king asked. He was desperate. He would be willing to do anything, but even he knew that once the sons had gathered in the house of Don, Lord of the Dead, they would be lost. They didn't have long. You should send a warrior to see Dahl, the blind one. He has wisdom, and he will tell you how to confront the Kelpie without being swept down to the other world. All the chieftains looked at their plates, starting to clean their cuticles and generally avoid the piercing eyes of the druid at all cost. Oh my gosh, seriously? Donal, the shield bearer, said. Okay, I'll do it. I mean, story-wise, we all knew this was going to happen the moment I came in here, you know, with a wound from that thing and a chip on my shoulder. You, a lowly shield bearer? One chieftain blurted out, but was met by nasty looks from all the others. None of them wanted to volunteer. He needed to keep his mouth shut. The king actually said something along the lines of, good luck, but we're not going to tell anyone you're going because, well, we don't want to get their hopes up. The shield bearer thanked them for their confidence and left to find Dahl, the blind one. There were plenty of rocks and rapids, but little else. It would be a tough place for anyone to eke out a living on their own, let alone a man who was blind and of very advanced age. Donal had traveled for weeks through the wilds of medieval Great Britain, he had finally found him. Dahl, the wise one. So, you live out here all alone, right? Donald asked Dahl when he found the wise man. Mm-hmm, Dahl said. How do you get food or plant a garden or anything? You see, I'm very wise, Dahl the blind replied. But Donald pressed, I don't see how those things are related. Oh, but aren't they? Asked Dahl the blind, raising his eyebrows. I, I don't think so, Donald replied. Hmm, Dahl said. That hand of yours, does it hurt? Well, I had to cut off my own fingers a few weeks back, so wait, wait a second, I never mentioned my hand. Whoa, Donald exclaimed to Dahl, who's just sitting there nodding and smiling. Come here, Dahl said, motioning the awestruck Donald to him. Donald, happily obliged. See this boiling cauldron? I'm gonna need you to shove your hand into it. Donald was hesitant. Normally, if someone would have asked him to shove his hands into boiling water, he would have refused, but in the last two weeks, he had been stuck to a magical party horse and quested farther than he ever thought he would travel in his life to meet a wise, blind hermit living atop a mountain to defeat a powerful magical creature that was as old as time itself. He didn't have to listen to the old stories. He was in one of the old stories. He gave the old man his hand. The old man guided Donald's hand into the boiling water and Donald winced. It didn't hurt. It kind of itched, but it wasn't too bad. Donald was a bit worried about how his hand looked when he pulled it out. Though, with four sloppily cut off fingers, it couldn't get much worse. So, he was surprised when, drawing out his hand, his digits no longer stopped at the knuckle. His fingers had regrown instantly, and he was healed. He grabbed Dahl's hand and thanked the man profusely. He could have kissed the wise man, but Dahl said it was nothing. Besides, Donald was going to need to be able to hold weapons if they were going to fight the combined forces of the other world together. Oh, cool. Wait, what did you say? 
We'll see just what Dahl has in mind for Donald right after this. Dahl continued, Yeah, and he knew why Donald was here so they could just skip an unnecessary retelling of the Kelpie story. There was one night a year, the Feast of Sam Hoon, when the other world became visible to our world and souls could cross between them. That night, he would stretch his hands over the water, using every bit of strength and knowledge he had to demand the return of the lost chieftain's sons. Donald said that sounded awesome. I mean, super dangerous and a little scary, but helping a wise old hermit fight the forces of the other world? This was gonna be great. What was Donald gonna do in the month leading up to that special night? Stay here and train in magic under the wise old hermit? Ooh, maybe the hermit could ride on his back and they would train and do backflips and magically lift rocks with his mind? No, no, none of that, Dahl corrected. You'll just wait at home until the day of, and then I'll come get you. You'll just try to keep us both from dying that night. Oh, that's that's not nearly as cool, Donald said. It's the other world, you know, kind of scary. Hey, so that's really all I have for you? So unless you need other appendages healed, or know of more chieftain sons that need to be brought back from the dead, I would appreciate it if you, you know, left. Oh, Donald said. So we're not going to be like cool best friends with, you know, a tough yet loving mentor-protege relationship? No, Dahl said. I'm Dahl the blind hermit, not Dahl the blind guy who lives with that kid up in the mountains. You can probably guess why. Donald went back to his kingdom and everyone was amazed by his hand. Privately, he told the king about his meeting with Dahl the Blind, though the king once again chose not to tell anyone about the good-ish news for fear of getting their hopes up. Because the king kept it to himself, no one told Dee not to go to the water's edge, to the beautiful young man who was there waiting for her. She had heard his calls over the past weeks. She had seen his face that disappeared when you turned around. She had felt someone watching her in the times that she thought she was alone. My love, where have you been? The young man said, his face awash with anxiety. You must have heard my cries. Come here and wipe the tears from my face. Dee rolled her eyes. Did he think she was stupid? A smile crept across his face as he wiped his own eyes. Worth a shot, he said. Dee had seen him for who he was, and his spell was broken. She wouldn't be a slave again. She had come to ask for her brother and all the other chieftain's sons back after he had taken them. He stood smiling. What made her think he had them? Dee stood firm. I didn't say you had them, she said. I said you took them. They were obviously in the other world, and she wanted them back. Dee slapped the Kelpie's hand away as he tried to stroke her hair, and he asked what it would take for her to love him again. She said that she wanted her brother and all the other chieftain's sons back here, alive. The Kelpie walked back to the water. That would be no problem at all. The Feast of Sam Hoon was soon, when the barrier between the living and the dead came down. That night, he would bring them back from the other world himself. She need only wait for him to come to collect her. He walked back into the sea, and he said that he would see her soon, before his head dipped below the water. Dee stood there, alone and listening to the waves crash against the coastline all around her, and shivering in the October air. What had she just done? Next, there's a whole bit where, despite Donald being a lowly shield bearer, he and Dee are friends. And Donald is in love with Dee's cousin, 
Feonis, and I'm just going to call her Faye. The book says her name meant vanity, and she was vain. Freakonomics did a show a few years ago about how much of an effect your name has on who you are, and they deemed that it was hit or miss. Just because your name was, say, vanity, didn't mean it would definitely affect your life. Well, it definitely affected Faye's life. She was beautiful, and she was taking her time in figuring out who she wanted to marry. High kings, definitely. Lesser kings, princes, or chieftains, eh, put them in the maybe pile. Lowly shield bearers that were hopelessly in love with her, not gonna happen. Hard pass. Donal was in the third category, and seeing as he had just come back from a quest to save the future of their kingdom, he was gonna do it. He was gonna ask her to marry him. Dee got wind of this, and since she cared for her late brother's shield bearer, she had to talk to Faye and play wingwoman for Donal and convince Faye to throw a pity marriage his way. Donal was a good guy, and he was going places, and she could do a lot worse. Faye disagreed that she could do a lot worse and just reiterated her marriage criteria and said that she would handle Donal. And she did, by laughing in his face when he asked to marry her. Donald was crushed and blamed himself. Of course she said no. Everyone in this kingdom wanted to marry Faye. Why would she finally settle down for him, a lowly shield bearer? At the Feast of Samhoon, Donald and Dee stood next to each other, both stewing in private anxiety and not saying much of anything. Donald knew that he had to face the combined forces of the other world that night to demand the return of the dead, and Dee feared that she would have to go with the Kelpie to his underwater kingdom in return for the return of the dead. No one was having as good a time as Faye, who was dancing with everyone. She came up to Donal and asked if he was going to ask her to dance. He reminded her that, you know, he had asked her to marry him yesterday, and she had said no. She chuckled, yeah, but that didn't mean he couldn't ask her to dance. Doesn't it, though? Donal almost got out before Faye grabbed his hand and pulled him out to dance. While they danced, Donald tried to tell her without telling her that he was going out to save the kingdom and bring back the dead sons of the chieftains. But all that he could say was that he had to leave after this dance. Faye made a pouty face. Aw, he was gonna leave her? He can't do that. The night was just getting started. Which, as a quick aside, just let him go. Don't string him along like that. For a moment, though, Donald thought about staying with her and not meeting Dahl out by the ocean to summon the dead. Then, he entered. The door crashed open, and a handsome young man, arrayed in more beautiful clothes than even the High King of Scotland, strode in surrounded by attendants. Dee froze. It was him. The Kelpie. And he was early. It was proclaimed that he was a king from a far-off land. He strode in through the crowded hall, announcing that it was his intention to marry the pr- Wait, uh, everybody hold on a minute, the Kelpie said, as his eyes found another. There were some late-breaking changes to his intentions. Keep dancing, and he'll let everyone know what he plans to do later. The Kelpie had just seen Faye. The room collectively shrugged, and everyone returned to dancing. Everyone, except for Faye and Donal, because Donal had just been thrown backwards over a chair. Faye had stood transfixed by the faux Kelpie King, Donald's heart sank. 
as he read Faye's face. Oh, come on. Faye was not going to pass him over for another guy again. His dismay was confirmed when, without even looking at him, Faye planted her palm right on his chest and shoved him from the dance floor and over said chair before the Kelpie saw her face. That was when the Kelpie stopped talking. That was when he saw the woman that he was going to marry. Donald stood up, slumped his shoulders, and did the arrested development Charlie Brown walk-off. At least he could go face the combined forces of the other world to take his mind off yet another stinging rejection. Faye did not notice him leave. She only noticed the Kelpie. She danced with the young man in the white shirt and green kilt for hours and hours until, finally, he asked her if she would come with him to his kingdom, which definitely existed, to marry him and become his queen. He could see it on her face. The answer was yes. I mean, the Kelpie could clean up. When he wasn't a sticky horse monster, the guy was irresistible, and he knew it. He was charmed by her answer, though. It was a, maybe? The Kelpie nodded. All right, he wasn't playing that game. He would be leaving at midnight for his kingdom. If she wanted to come with him, she should meet him out by the sea. If she wanted to marry whatever dregs this kingdom had to offer, he wished her the best. With that, he left the hall. If a friend musters up the courage to tell you that your date is a sticky horse monster, who is going to kidnap you and take you as a slave down to his underwater lair for 1,000 years, you should listen to that friend. That friend is a good friend. D was that kind of friend to Faye and told her exactly what was going on. But Faye chalked it up to jealousy on the part of D and said her goodbyes. Tomorrow, Faye will be the queen of some kingdom she hadn't got the name of and Dee will be marrying, I don't know, Donald? He was still single because Faye had crushed his spirit once again for the fun of it. While Faye said her goodbyes and left to meet her new fiancé by the sea, Donald was up on the wall, making whatever small talk one could make with a potentially crazy old hermit. Well, midnight was coming, and even though the king had said he would keep from telling all the collective chieftains that their sons might be coming back, he told all the collective chieftains that their sons might be coming back. Dahl and Donal had an audience for when the barrier between the worlds dropped and they demanded the dead sons returned. But first, something weird happened. Well, weirder than a dozen plus people returning from the other world. Hey, is that your daughter? Someone said to Faye's father. Yeah, he said it was. She was running to catch up to a beautiful young man, saying that, yes, she would accept his proposal. The young man smiled and said that he knew she would. He already had a ring ready for her. He pulled out a ring of brilliant polished coral, just her size. He slid the ring on her finger, and she hugged him. The assembled chieftains cheered. Everyone was happy, for exactly one moment. Faye blinked, and she was no longer hugging a beautiful young man in a white shirt and green kilt, but atop a sticky horse with a white mane and green slime. She panicked, but she couldn't let go of the horse's neck. Without delay, the Kelpie turned and began galloping off into the sea. Oh my gosh, the thing has proposed to your daughter, trapped her, and is now dragging her off to his underwater kingdom to be his bride for a thousand years, a chieftain blurted, dropping some exposition and helping us all to understand the situation. Yeah, Faye's father said. Well, what are you going to do about it? The fellow chieftain said. I don't know, probably nothing. I'm not exactly father of the year material, Faye's father said. This is probably what she wanted. 
I mean, look at the guy. A king and a magical shape-shifting horse? She could do worse. I mean, she's always loved horses, always loved rich guys, and always loved walking along the beach. This is like a win-win-win for her. It wasn't, but Faye's father just waved goodbye to his daughter, who was stuck screaming on the back of a horse. When the Kelpie dipped below the water, it was past midnight. The Kelpie stared into the darkness and said that he would fulfill his oath to Dee. He would return the lost sons. He called out to the other world, demanding that the dead be returned, and then did an awkward swimming gallop off toward his magical underwater kingdom. Above, Dahl began chanting in a language that the others didn't understand. Donald gripped his sword. The sea bubbled. One by one, people began appearing in the water, and one by one, as they gasped at the air of the world of the living, the individual fathers recognized them and ran to them. As it neared 1 a.m. and the worlds began to separate again, there was still one son remaining, the prince. Finally, as bubbling began to cease, the last young man rose. It was him. It was the king's son. All the sons had been returned. The king ran to him, and as he helped his limping son from the water, the young man looked up and said a deep, sincere thank you to Donal, the man who had been his shield bearer and friend. But Donald was no longer a shield bearer. You can't go on a quest and save the kingdom almost completely by coincidence and then go back to your normal life. The king made Donald a lord. One day, while he was walking along with his good friend Dee, they confided in each other about the adventures neither knowing just how intertwined they were, with the Kelpie being the one to demand the return of the dead. Dee saw Donald in a new light. Sure, she would never love him with the mad, passionate, uncontrollable love that she had felt for the Kelpie for those brief weeks, but he was kind, good, and he cared for her. Also, he probably wasn't a sticky horse monster, which had to count for something. They talked and decided to marry. They were happy, and Donald the reluctant hero would die a prince. And, if you're wondering, yeah, Dahl had done absolutely nothing but shout gibberish from the wall. The Kelpie, in the text, acknowledges as much as he returns the dead, saying that Dahl will get credit for it, but whatever, because the Kelpie had just kidnapped himself a beautiful new wife. I feel like Dahl, the wise one, somehow knew of the Kelpie's romantic side plot, and that the sons would be returned anyway, at that time, so, all he had to do was stand atop the wall and shout gibberish, and he would be remembered for eons. He truly was wise. As a sort of a after-the-credits scene, we cut to the Kelpie, sitting on his polished coral throne, centuries after Dahl, Dee, and Donald lived and died, saying that, kids, that's how I met your mother. Also, Faye, you call this a polished throne? You know what, I don't care if he takes you another 500 years, you're polishing this whole thing again. Faye, still young, but ragged from centuries of work, went to get her supplies. The Kelpie is mainly a bad guy, and mostly a tragic figure. There is not always a romantic component, as in the case of the story about a man who found his path home completely flooded. This particular man was extra distraught because his wife was dying, and he wanted to see her one last time. A stranger in nice clothes approached him on the road, and offered to carry him across the river on his shoulders. The husband replied that he couldn't ask anyone to do such a thing for him, 
to which the Kelpian human form said, It's okay. I'm already wet up to my armpits. Go ahead. Feel away. The husband felt the man's clothes and, yeah, the stranger was wet. Figuring a complimentary dry ride atop a stranger and the possibility of seeing his wife again were worth braving the river, the husband took the stranger up in his offer and climbed onto his shoulders. I don't know where things went south. It could have been when the Kelpie started wavering in the torrent, or it could have been when the Kelpie threw the man down into the water, screaming, Drown! Drown! I'm not a folklorist. What I do know is that neither of them had a great trip across the river. As the husband was thrown from the Kelpie, he held fast to his ride, and the Kelpie came down after him. You'd think that a water horse would have a better time at navigating the water, but they both tumbled downstream until the husband hit a shallow spot and scrambled to his feet, running away. The Kelpie was finally able to plant his feet and stop himself, but by then, it was too late. He picked up the 1,000-pound rock from the river and hurled it at the man, but the man, named Johnny, was out of range. The rock stayed there for a number of years, but was eventually broken down and now forms a stone bridge on that very spot. So you don't need to rely on overly kind and suspiciously wet strangers for rides across the river. Also, Kelpie is the name for a demon in the shape of a horse. It's the fear of the water and drowning in physical form. What Donald did, cutting off his fingers to get free from the Kelpie, is fairly common in Kelpie stories. If you want to get rid of the Kelpie, but don't have a vain friend to trap for centuries of servitude, one way to do so is to just hit it on the head. Less violent ways involve stamping a cross on a horse halter, or that thing that goes around a horse's head, and then the Kelpie is your servant for a thousand years, or until you die, whichever comes first. The Kelpie's origins range from a time when people made human sacrifices to the gods of the water, to a scary story told to prevent kids from drowning, to a story to keep adolescent women a little suspicious of attractive strangers who show up out of the blue. I found this story today as part of a collection called, unsurprisingly, Celtic Myths and Legends by Peter Ellis, a great collection of very readable Celtic legends. I linked it in the show notes. Next week on the podcast, we're telling a story from Japanese mythology about a young woman who will go to any length to get her father back and about a small village with a terrible secret. I want to say thanks to Tom the Yorkie, Swordsman Sam, KVAVKVAV, Z3MM, Octopush Mellow, 23, Hoopmaster KS, Zeus Fritzel, Ashley LR, Hermanitato, and Can I Have a Puppy Please for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much. As I've said before, I read every review and I just really appreciate it. It really does help the show and Apple Podcasts is the best place to review. You can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the combined price of the game's street cleaning simulator and garbage truck simulator, two PC games that actually exist, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that would be awesome to listen to while you play Garbage Truck Simulator. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this time is the shoujo from Japan. The shoujo is a small ape-like creature with a human face and chest. They hang out on islands and sometimes wear clothes. They're said to be very wise, though I don't know how we know this. 
they don't really speak any human language. Also, they are rarely sober. Their lives consist of singing, dancing, and consuming a large quantity of sake, a Japanese rice wine. Like anyone who can get away with a life lounging on the beach and drinking, these creatures prefer to remain lounging on the beach and drinking. When that is disturbed by humans, they might attack, but probably not. It's more likely that they'll force themselves to get up and stagger into the forest. Merchant ships are the exception. If they see one, they sober up enough to pull an Ocean's Eleven-style heist. Swimming to the ships and getting away with as many barrels of sake as their squat ape bodies can handle. And they also make their own wine out of salt water, which I didn't even think was possible until I learned what sour beer was, which is apparently beer fermented with salt water. To good people, this wine is the best thing ever made. To bad people, it's poisonous. The word shoujo is applied to the orangutan in Japan and China because the creature really resembles the ape. I personally want to believe that there's a team of sometimes sober orangutans who spend half their time planning daring robberies of merchant ships and the other half laying around on the beach drinking wine. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring us this week. For a great razor, at a great price, join Dollar Shave Club. New members get their first month of the Executive Razor and a tube of Dr. Carver's Shave Butter for only $5, with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. Get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash legends. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.